Today, we look at building community, particularly in the church, and are asking the question, what is my part in building community? Welcome to Run With Horses. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you thrive as a disciple of Jesus. And the community of the church is one of those places that is so important in the life of a disciple. So thank you for joining me today as we consider a little more about this community. Well, you know, if you listen to this show very often, I am consistently encouraging you and reminding you that we need to be part of a spiritual community. Uh, It's really important that you're part of a local church. And we've looked at many different aspects of that, but today I want to really dig down a little bit and think about what's my part? You know, that's really the question that I need to be asking as a disciple and as a disciple maker. It's not just that the community exists and that's good to know, although definitely the community exists and that's good to know. What is maybe more important is how do I interact with this community? What is my part in helping this community be healthy? And as a disciple maker, I think we really have a great responsibility and opportunity to help our churches be healthy. This is so important because really it seems like at the moment there are, there are a lot of unhealthy churches, which makes sense because the church is filled with people who are They're just sinners who are saved. They're people who still struggle with the flesh. They still struggle with sin. And they bring all that into this church community. So it's no surprise that the church struggles with the same things that the world struggles with. However, our struggle should be different, particularly for those of us as we grow along this path toward Christ-likeness. We uh, begin this journey with Christ, and He begins working in us at that uh, time of salvation. The Holy Spirit begins uh, His work in us. We should be changing, and part of that is changing in our outlook, our thoughts, our behaviors, our attitudes, all of our relationships as well. One aspect of that that really contributes to building community is that we think about other people differently, and really the big area, the big way that we change in our relationships is that we begin to accept a little responsibility for other people. So if you have uh, heard of the book, um, now I forget the name of it. (laughs) That's terrible. Real Life Discipleship by Jim Putman. Uh, It's a book that I recommend to a lot of uh, pastors, a lot of people who are considering what what discipleship looks like in the church. He uses the illustration. I don't think that it's original to him, but I think that's where I heard it. Of really of going from an infant to a spiritual parent. So from a spiritual infant to a spiritual child, to a spiritual young adult, to a spiritual parent. And this really is the goal for all of us as we grow and mature in Christ likeness, that we we go along this pathway. We mature. We accept responsibility in the beginning for ourselves, And I think that's the difference. When we think about the difference between each of these stages, the difference between the child and the young adult is the amount of responsibility they take for themselves. So you would consider a 
a human child, an infant, can take no responsibility for themselves whatsoever. A child can do a little bit. They need a lot of guidance, and they might need it spelled out for them and a lot of things prepared for them, but they can take a certain amount of responsibility. But a spiritual young adult, a young adult in uh, the human realm, can take responsibility for themselves. That's one of the things that marks a child from an adult. They begin to take responsibility for their own life. And spiritually, that's what a spiritual young adult does. They begin to take responsibility for their own life. They begin to make some of their own choices and bear their own consequences. Now, the difference between the spiritual young adult and the parent, then, is the responsibility that goes in the direction of other people. So they begin to take responsibility, not just for themselves, but also for other people. And this is really the heartbeat of community. We need spiritual parents to have healthy community. One of the reasons why we struggle in the church is because we have so many spiritual infants and spiritual children, people who have not taken responsibility for their own spiritual life. They rely completely upon the pastor and Sunday school teachers to feed them. And it's, it's kind of like an IV. They're getting this drip feeding, and it's, it's good. It keeps them alive. But, I mean, if you're there every service, you're still probably only getting that twice a week. And the same way that physically you need food every day, you need spiritual food every day, or you will be sick. You won't make it. You will be unhealthy. But there are so many people in the church that are really only spiritually feeding once or twice a week. So, of course, we have unhealthy churches. That's not a surprise. But as we grow, as we have more people who are disciple makers and begin to take responsibility, not just for themselves, but for others, uh, then we have this opportunity for a very special spiritual community that God calls the church. So I I was looking at some different things online, just considering the idea of community and how do people think about community. And I found uh, an article that was titled How to Build Community and Why It Matters So Much. I thought, well, that's exactly what we're thinking about. So I I put a note uh, for that in the, the show notes but I wanted to go through a couple of their points because I, th- I thought they were relevant and worth considering. The first is the community that exists, whatever community it is, needs to know its purpose. And the last show, we looked at different cat- categories or different kinds of communities. Whatever kind of community is, whether it's a geographic local community or based around an interest or based around a certain value set, the community exists for a reason and it really needs to know why it exists. So one of the reasons that community is so important is because it does tie us together in some way. And that really is often very much attached to the purpose. So when we consider this idea of how do I take part in building a healthy community, well, you need to know. I need to know the reason behind my community. And we're thinking about the the community of the church. So I need to know why the church is here. What is the purpose? And we we build community by keeping that in mind and then reminding ourselves and reminding others of why all of us need to contribute to that. We all have a part to play. And scripturally, we can look at this and, you know, the Bible tells us that each one of us has a part and that is each part of the body uh, carries out its work. The body is built up as we use our spiritual gifts. So we have a purpose uh, in the church and we need to know what that is. So it's in our case in the church, 
we have different ways of considering it. The big purpose is to glorify God. But we're, our purpose is very much attached to the mission of Christ, that mission of reconciliation with the world. Well, how do we accomplish that? Well, we need healthy disciple makers. So the purpose of the church, you can consider it as glorifying God through carrying out his mission of reconciliation. And we do that as we make disciples and disciple makers. So this all is part of our thinking about the purpose and reminding ourselves and others that we each have a part to play. Now, we need to understand why we're here, why we get together, what we're accomplishing. So as a leader in the church or in any group, one of the things that the leader does is provide people with that ongoing vision and help them be really clear about the purpose of this community, the purpose of this organization, and to help people understand how their work fits into the work of the community. It's important for us to recognize how our gifts fit into what the church is doing. How does this fit into our purpose, our reason for being? And sometimes people don't serve and they're not really interested because they don't really see that they have a place. They don't really see that they have a part. Uh, This is part of the struggle with certain formats of church, certain ways that we do things. If we lift up the, the paid staff and consider that all the ministry that happens is, is being done by people who are, uh, have this certain role and they have this position and they're paid to do that, it's easy for people to sit back and say, well, I don't have anything to do. I'm just sending in my money and they do it. Well, okay, that's not really the way the church is supposed to work. And if we see it that way, then obviously we're not going to be really committed to the church in the same way that we would be if we understand that my gifts are necessary. I have a part to play in my community. My church community needs me to be part of it to accomplish its purpose in the world. So I think that's important for us. We need to take responsibility for understanding the purpose ourselves and helping each person in the church, in the community, to understand their part. And it's a very necessary part. The second thing that they mentioned in this article was we have to help others know that they belong. And this is something that each one of us does. Now, obviously, a pastor, a leader in the church has this as a responsibility to help people know that they belong. But each one of us needs to be part of sharing that message that, hey, you're, you're valued here. You're important here. Uh, Plato said the part cannot be well unless the whole is well. And vice versa is also true. The church members take care of the church members. So the community takes care of itself. We help each other know that we're important, that we belong. We have to stay in communication, stay in contact, invest time and energy in maintaining relationships. And it it does take effort. It takes energy. It takes um, intentional relational effort to, to make disciples. And I think that's the same thing that it takes to build communities. Well, we have to spend that effort to see a healthy community, a healthy church. The third thing that was mentioned in this article was we have to face challenges well. And they talked about the idea of resilience. So strong communities adapt and become stronger as they learn to cope with problems together. Now, one of the ways this works out is we have to embrace conflict and diversity. And by that, we mean there are people with different opinions and different thoughts. And that's true even within the church where we say we're, we're tied together maybe by a church covenant, by a common theology or doctrine. So we're, we're in the same ballpark, 
But when we get to the peripheral, the further you get from the gospel, the more likely we are to have differences of opinion, even within the same church. So we need a place to have civil discourse and disagreement about those things that are not uh, attached to the gospel. And as we have those discussions and say, well, I maybe see that a little bit differently, hopefully the way we do that, we say, I want to understand your part your view, your understanding of this passage of Scripture, because I really want to follow whatever the Bible says. And if I misunderstand it, I, I want to know that. And if I talk to people who disagree with me or who see it differently, I'm more likely to go back and consider that passage and maybe come to a more biblical understanding. And hopefully, if you listen to me, that's the same for you. Uh, we may start in vastly different places, but as we look at Scripture and explain how we see it, uh, hopefully that helps both of us get closer to actually where the scripture is. I'm not trying to convince you of my position. I just want you to understand why I understand the Bible says it this way. This is how I interpret that. This is how I believe it should be lived out. Uh, I don't want you to convince me of your position. I want you to help me understand the scriptural position better. So we have to learn to face those internal challenges and be a resilient community that loves and supports each other, even when we disagree. So as a leader, as a pastor, as a Sunday school teacher, as a leader in the church, one of the things, one of the ways that this needs to be lived out is that when people try something, they, they need to be encouraged to try even when they fail, whether that's to try a new method of outreach or they're trying a new uh, way of teaching some uh, biblical truth in a Sunday school class. We have to let people try in ministry. We have to encourage people to try in ministry. We don't want to let tradition guide the way. We want to always go back and say, what does the Bible say? We want to stick with scriptural truth. But within that, we have a lot of freedom for how we do a lot of the things that we do. So, and we don't want to let perfection get in the way of progress. So we can be at the place where we say, well, uh, maybe a lay leader is not going to do that as well as a paid professional. So we don't want to let the lay leader do it because it, it won't be done as well. Well, okay, that's a problem. <laughs> we want it to be done by the church. And if it's not done at the, the same level, we understand people have jobs, people have other responsibilities. They can't give the same amount of time that a paid professional does. At the same time, we allow people to try and do it at the level they can, and they grow. And I think the church benefits from that kind of atti attitude. Actually, and this article goes on, goes so far as to say that if we don't see some mistakes or missteps, then our team, our church, our community may not be reaching high enough. We may be staying in our comfort zone and not really attempting to do great things. And I think the mission of Christ demands that we attempt great things. So there's a three things here that are maybe ideas that help us as we think about community. So know our purpose, help other people in the community and the church know the purpose, help others belong, and then work to face challenges well, to be resilient, to understand and work through differences, to understand that we're going to have different opinions, different thoughts, and that's okay. <laughs> so those are very gentle and broad, but I want to look specifically at a couple things, thinking about how to build community in our church. And again, I have some uh, notes in the show notes, and they said there's five ways to build community in a church. And I thought these were really good as well, the things that I talk about a lot and why reinvent the world. So I took their list and, and want to work through it and give some comments. But how do we build community in our church? And one way is to cultivate and support small groups 
And that doesn't necessarily mean officially something we call a small group or a life group or a D group. There's all these different names for official small groups. But we need to cultivate and support um, people in the church getting together in smaller groups. And by that, I mean smaller than your Sunday morning uh, main service. Whether you have 35 or 3,500, you need some smaller groups to have a more personal interaction. And you don't have to call it a small group. There are churches that do really well with Sunday school classes being these smaller groups. And maybe they're based around, uh, you know, young marrieds or teens or something like that. But they allow that small group to occur still on Sunday as part of their Sunday school class, but they're working hard to keep those smaller. And you do have to work at it. And the larger the church is, the more you have to work at it. You know, I went to a church one time, and their small group, their Sunday school class that we went to on Sunday morning, had a hundred people in it. It's like, well, you know, there's a lot of churches that support us in ministry that don't have a hundred people. And I mean, this was a Sunday school class with a hundred people. So obviously, that was not a small group in their Sunday school. It, it's important that we have those smaller times of, of interaction, of really getting to know people. Think back to our earlier statement, we need to have this sense of belonging. What's well, hard to feel like you belong when you have a hundred of your closest friends and you don't really know any of them very well. You need that smaller group to have support. And prayer, uh, time and, and devotion and God's Word together and fellowship are all part of that. It can happen officially. It can happen unofficially. There are some churches that this primarily happens outside of an official meeting. It's not formal. The, the danger in that is that if it's not organized, if it's not really encouraged and supported enough, some people are not part of it, don't know that it exists, are not seeking it out. So it, it can be hit or miss either way, whether it's formal or informal, whether it's supported by the church or kind of just on the side. Either way, it's important. So if we're going to build community, we have to have these smaller group interactions. One of the reasons that's so important, the second one, is the small group leaders, people who are are leading those small groups, either formally or informally, really have to learn to do pastoral ministry. And by that, you know, I often use the term under-shepherd. They have to be able to shepherd the flock. I mean, a lot of the shepherding is going to happen in these smaller groups. If you have a church of a thousand people, the pastor cannot shepherd everybody. Um, a lot of people would say that a pastor really can only shepherd maybe 30 people, 25, 30 people. I would say it's probably even less than that. But really, it probably works out to be 25 to 30 when you consider some of those are leaders of families. So if you help a husband to be a better husband, maybe the pastor is only directly working with the husband. But if he's growing and learning to shepherd his family well, well, that does expand the ability of the pastor to shepherd more people. But there is a limit, however you want to put the number. I think the number probably depends on the pastor's gift and their view of pastoral ministry. Personally, uh, if you look just at how many people you can pastor, I would say realistically eight to ten. And as a, uh, as a man, I would look at it and say there are eight to ten men that I could shepherd and pastor. Now, I want them to be shepherding their, their families. Uh, I want them to be encouraging and helping their wives and their children, and I want them to be learning to, to shepherd other people, to help other people as they follow Christ. But there's not that many people that we can really intentionally, relationally develop. It takes so much time to do it well. 
So the smaller groups have to have leaders who understand that part of their role is doing this shepherding pastoral ministry. Otherwise, the small group maybe just be fellowship and provide some things and will help build community, but it's less than what it could be. Uh, to, to really reach its full potential, small group leaders have to be doing pastoral ministry. They have to be shepherding others. The third thing, so we have small groups, small group leaders who are functioning as uh, shepherds. And the third thing is being willing to give up expediency. You know, we want things done timely, quick, However, building community takes time. If we want to build authentic community in the church, it is uh, time intensive. And sometimes when we think about the way that the church does things, often we make the mistake of looking at it in the same way that the world does. Well, what's the quickest, the cheapest, and easiest way to do this with the fewest number of people? <laughs> okay, well, that's great in business. That's not necessarily great in the church. Sometimes, the labor-intensive choice is the best because as we labor together, we build relationship, we build community. So the, the quickest, cheapest, easiest way to do something in the church might not be the best way. It, we might need to choose something intentionally that takes more time and more manpower because we want more people involved. We have to give up that idea that the world has that we have to do it right now and we have to do it as cheap as possible. So sometimes uh, building community fights against that. The next thing we need to, in our community, and really this is maybe something more that the, the pastors and teachers and leaders of the, of the church need to do, but think of deacons and Sunday school teachers and even more mature believers, I think, have a role in this. We need to preach and teach regularly on the importance of really caring for each other. And, you know, sometimes we stick with just a lip service that, oh, I care. But we care <laughs> maybe in, uh, in a way, but it's not a way that works out to us doing anything. So... It's like often we think about in marriage counseling, someone can say, well, this husband and wife, they say they love each other, but love actually causes them to act in a certain way. If your love doesn't drive your actions, then I'm not sure that it's real love. The love of Jesus sent him to the cross. Uh, the love that I have for my wife causes me to look for ways to do something to make her life better, to make her life uh, maybe easier in some ways when I see she's struggling with something, to, to let her know that she's cared for. I want to do something because I love her. And I think real caring is going to cause us to do something and to, to reach out in a meaningful way. So we have to be teaching on this, but also giving examples, you know, helping people understand what this looks like. So when new people come to the church, we say we want to care for new people when they come to church. Well, what do we do? That's really the question, right? What do we do to show new people when they come to church that we, we care for them? Maybe it's inviting them to a meal. Maybe it's uh, trying to serve them in some way. If we see that there are needs, it depends on the person in your church and what options there are and what needs there are. But caring really is going to be doing something meaningful and practical. We have to be practicing that. I know several years ago in Japan, we read a book, and I think the book was called Outflow, and I don't remember who wrote it. But one of the recommendations they had in there just to help us 
remember and <laughs> encourage us to reach out to people and just sometimes love them without expecting anything in return. Uh, he encouraged, if, if it's in the summer, just take some water to the park and just give it to people who are hot and don't have something to drink. One of the things we did in our group at the time is I, I bought a whole bunch of water bottles and it was in the middle of the summer and it was like 95 to 98 degrees. It said, hey, give a water bottle to somebody who's, who needs it and just tell them, hey, we, God loves you and we love you and what do you know? That, that's it. You, nothing's expected. You're not invited to anything. I mean, if they want to talk and you can, but uh, really it's, it's caring for somebody where they're at. We want to do something practically, and we want to be able to think that way. And it's often doing those practical things that open the doors so we have an opportunity then to say something. And always we're going to have to work toward a conversation. But if we don't care, uh, sometimes we're not even going to see the people that we should be talking to. So we have to learn to see people. We have to learn to care, care about them. And part of that is learning to care for each other. How are we practically living this out? So that leads right into the next one. So we have small groups, pastoral ministry, takes time, have to be caring. The next one for, for me and for you, when we're thinking about our part in helping our church build community, we have to live the example. How do you do that? I mean, there's so many ways. Thinking about caring, well, it means practically looking at people in your church and your church community and saying, how can I care for them? What do they need? What, what opportunities do I have to serve them in a meaningful way? But it also means things like be the first to show up at any kind of service or event and be the last to leave. You know, be there early and welcome the early people who are coming. Thank the ones who are setting up for their work. Um, stay and, and help the ones who are closing down and thank them for their, their time and their effort. Be there and be there for the people who come up, who come. You know, they're always the people who, who are there 15 minutes early for everything and they end up a lot of times sitting by themselves and just twiddling their thumbs until people get there. Go talk to them. If you don't know them, it's a great time to get to know new people. If you do know them, you have an extra time of, of fellowship. If it's on a Sunday of the service, you don't have a lot of fellowship maybe with everybody. You have some people who you're, you're going to get a chance to build a relationship with before anybody else gets there. And then there are others who they hang around afterward and they're, they're really slow to leave and they've, they've got time. Often, those are the people, if the church is working well, that we can look at and say, hey, what, what are you doing? Would you like to go you know, grab a bite to eat? Or if you're close enough, you know, sometimes we, we go so far to church, sometimes it's hard, but sometimes we live close enough to say, hey, why don't you come over to the house? We can play a game, although I can't say that I'm a great game person, but come to the house, we can talk, we can um, grill out, we can do something. Be first and be last. Be the first to leave be the first to show up, the last to leave, and consider that it takes time to build community. And that's not just it's going to take weeks and months and years to build community, but it's going to take time uh, in, in and around the things that the church is doing. It's going to take time all at once, hours, uh, not just show up on time and leave on time. It's going to be difficult to build community that way. It takes time. It takes hard work, but it's worth it. 
So thanks for joining me today. Hopefully you are building a great community with your church family. It's difficult. It takes time, but it's worth it. So keep running.